One last programming note. We're going to have an extra show this week. That's where we're going to be covering Churchill Downs for Saturday Stakes. And also, we're going to have coverage of Monmouth Park. And there, excuse me, not Monmouth Park. Nah, Monmouth Park at the Meadowlands. See, it gets confusing these days. We've got Belmont at Aqueduct. We've got Monmouth Park at the Meadowlands. Anyway, we've got a six-race turf card on Saturday. Monmouth at the Meadowlands, sponsored by Betmakers. That segment will be, we'll be covering that also. It's going to be an audio-only show. So if you're listening on YouTube or watching on YouTube, you should be subscribed to our podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, In the Money Media. That's the name of the feed. You can get the audio-only version of the show that's going to cover Churchill and Monmouth over there. And, of course, for more, check out InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our late week show. Uh, We're going to be dropping it on Friday, September 23rd. And we're going to be dropping this a little bit early this week because we're going to be covering some racing Friday night. And that is where we're going to start the show. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker. Once again, happy to be joined by two guests. We'll start with the man that I like to describe as the usual co-host of this program. He was on with us a bunch of times during Saratoga. I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more of him in the run-up to the Breeders' Cup. He is Jonathan Kinchin. JK, what's up? PTF, it's uh, it's been a whirlwind. I, I left the day after the Saratoga meet to go to Europe uh, for a friend's wedding in Greece and to do some uh, wedding planning of my own. And then I got back. I flew to Austin. I've been with Austin for five days. I just got back to Saratoga and I finally feel like the meet is over officially <laughs> for me. It, it, it took a while to let down, but uh, here we are. That's funny. I had a similar reaction really to the end of Saratoga where end of Saratoga went to Nashville, went to Toronto, and it only just now feels this week like the fall is, is officially beginning and all the interesting wagering opportunities. And to talk about one of those interesting wagering opportunities that we've got going Friday night, we've got a man who's done a fantastic job on his own podcast on this network, the first over podcast. And he's here to educate us. And I, and I really include myself in that as somebody who's always been really interested in harness racing, very aware of the fact that a lot of the old school horse players, thoroughbred players came from that world trip handicapping, really a concept that largely originated as far as I understand it from the sport of harness racing. And this is a guy who's done some serious demystifying on these airwaves over the course of the last uh, year or so. We welcome now to the flagship show, Edison Hatter. Edison, how are things? Pete, thank you so much. Uh, pleasure to be on. Looking forward to discussing this uh, Friday evening Hoosier card. And, you know, it was a pleasure last year on opening day to be with you and, and JK at Saratoga. And I can't believe I didn't get up there this year. Just got so busy with the stuff this summer and uh, jealous listening to you two. I know who were up there quite a bit uh, this summer. So, <laughs> We'll get you back. We'll get you back. We'll get you doing. We'll do the double header up there. We'll do. We'll do the old degenerate double header. We'll spend all day at the at the flat and then end up over at the at the harness. But on this segment, I want to get you going. Let's start from like the very beginning. The very beginning. Tell me, like I'm five. What's going on at Hoosier on Friday night? Well, Friday night, you know, for them is a, one of their biggest nights of the year. Um, they have Dan Patch night back in August, so that's one of their major stakes as well. And this is the other major stake held at Hoosier Park, which is the Caesars Trotting Classic. Um, It is one of the major trot races in the sport. 
Um, but it's anchored by several other races on the card as well, including the Hoosier Park Pacing Derby. That'll be the major race for the Pacers. And then there's a lot of other stakes races underneath, all of which we discussed on the roundtable that came out uh, Wednesday evening. Um, and that will include uh, some of our other sports' biggest stars. And there's also a lot of Kentuckiana Stallion Series. That includes the two-year-olds. They're going for nearly a quarter million dollars in those races. And uh, obviously the two-year-olds, especially in harness racing, at this point we're starting to get a pretty good idea of where they're at in the season. Because, you know, unlike the thoroughbreds, since these horses race every week, you have two-year-olds that might already have 10 or maybe 15 starts under their belt. And obviously I don't think it's any thoroughbred two-year-old with, with that many starts yet. So uh, it definitely gets you an interesting spot to understand where some of these freshman horses are. And of course, again, uh, we'll look forward to seeing a lot of the older stars as well on, on the card later on that we'll discuss too. I'm feeling you know, horse player envy there, JK, when, when Edison talks about having that much form to look at with these two-year-olds. Doesn't that sound cool? Yeah, I mean, it makes it a lot easier than some of the races we have to deal with. I can think of a specific race last week where a horse had run one time and, and uh, didn't run particularly well the second time. So you, you only have one start to, to go off of. Um, Edison, when, when, you know, when I first got into racing uh, and, you know, I got my first ADW living in Texas and I remember my dad would, would go to bed with a hundred, I'd go to bed with a, my dad having a hundred dollars in his account. And then the next morning he'd have zero. And I'd say, dad, there was no races on. He said, yes, there was. And, uh, he lost it all on harness racing. I, when I, those race, those pools on those Wednesday nights and those random Tuesday nights don't seem to be very huge compared to what we see sometimes in thoroughbred. How does this pools we're looking at uh, for this big event, how, how big do these pools uh, project to get? You know, JK, to answer quite uh, frankly to you, you know, there are some harness tracks, much like some of the late, you know, night thoroughbred track kind of in the random places in the world that the pools might not be the greatest, but when you look at a place like Woodbine Mohawk Park, obviously we, we do show for here on in, in the money, as well as uh, the Meadowlands, which we also have done work for, and now Harris Hoosier Park, those are three of the premier harness tracks in North America. And quite honestly, when I started the Meadowlands, even my thought was I wasn't sure exactly where the pools were compared to you know thoroughbred. I mean, you know, I'm I'm still a huge thoroughbred fan. I still own thoroughbreds, you know, so I love that side of sport as well. But at the Meadowlands, quite honestly, most weekends were handling on par, if not bigger than, say, a Charlestown. And likewise, a Hoosier on a night like this should expect to have a pretty large handle as well with, with the races they have on this card. And they do very well each and every night. So, um, you know, it's not going to rise to the level of, say, a Kentucky Derby, you know, handle by any stretch. But you are competing for sure with some of those, you know, medium-sized thoroughbred tracks when it comes to handle. And obviously, I think plenty of flat betters have no problem betting into those size of pools. And, and you'll be looking at, at similar type things here on this Friday evening. There's a guaranteed pool or two on Friday night, Edison. And I remember we were talking off air. You said you wouldn't be surprised at all if they greatly exceed the, the numbers of the guarantee. Yeah, they have a $20,000 guaranteed pick four pool uh, races 12 through 15, um, you know, and those are three of the four biggest races on that card. There is races 12, 13 and 14. Um, and uh, those were tickets that we gave out as well on the round table Wednesday evening. We all gave out to pick four tickets. And uh, that for sure is a sequence. You know, if there are flat players looking to get involved with the sequence, those are definitely the three races you'll want to watch if you're interested by the sport, the most interesting races. And I think there are also going to be some of the more interesting ones to bet as well, quite possibly. When does the card kick off and give us some details on some of the stars? Because I know this is a, a star laden card. Some of the, the equine stars that our, our uh, viewers and listeners should be on the lookout for Friday night. Well, the first race will be at uh, 6.15 p.m. And, you know, the, the great thing about Hoosier Park is, especially if you're looking at their past performances, is they actually are one of the only tracks that I know of in the 
bottom right hand corner, they actually list their true off time. So, you know, you don't have to worry too much about drag or this, that, the other. So it's listed right here. Race one will be off at 6 19 p.m. So we know that for a fact. Um, and I'll just kind of highlight some of the other stars throughout the evening. We'll see. Um, you know, one thing that I think is great about harness racing is that a lot of our stars, you know, will kind of travel around to these different tracks. And I think the owners do a great job of this. In fact, one that I'd like to mention by name is, is Don Tiger, who owns Charlie May, who's one of the pacing stars in our sport. And, you know, this is a horse that was eligible to a lot of big races. You know, he'd go to some opens and tracks this weekend for, you know, $50,000, $60,000 purses. And instead, he ended up yesterday in Delaware, Ohio, at the Delaware County Fair, which is home of the Little Brown Jug, one of the big races in the sport. And he ended up in an Ohio Stallion Series race that went for 18000 And, you know, he crushed the field. So it clearly wasn't the most money he could get. But it was clearly important to Don that, you know, he did a great interview on the set. He's tremendous with his time. And he, you know, for sure found it important to take Charlie May to this track to, you know, let the public see his star horse. Now, I, I think that's one of the great things about harness racing. And I think we see as well quite a bit that, you know, our horses stick around a lot longer than the thoroughbreds as well, which I think is kind of an opportunity to connect to and, you know, be a fan of these horses longer than some of thoroughbreds are before they end up in the breeding shed. Um, and I think we see that on this card starting right away, Pete, with races five and seven, uh, the Phil Langley Memorial race five, which is going to go off about seven forty three. That includes cool Papa bell. It's a short select field of five. I mean, I think it's going to be an interesting betting race, but the highlight of that race will be the five cool Papa bell who was this year's upset 52 to one winner of the Hamiltonian, which again is our equivalency of the Kentucky Derby. And similarly, race seven, the moneymaker, will be going off about 8.25 p.m. That will include Fashion Schooner, who was uh, the Hamiltonian Oaks winner this year. So, I mean, Pete, we discussed this a little bit before we on air, but it's a unique aspect in that, you know, you basically have the equivalency of the Derby winner and the Oaks winner on the same card. So uh, it's definitely something special to look forward to um, fr Friday evening. And that's just on the undercard. We're not even into the big races yet. It's pretty cool. We've been reading in the ads for that we've been doing in the lead up to this night talking about bulldog Hanover and his return to the races, uh, the, the winner of that Dan patch stakes you mentioned before, but also a horse that stopped the clock in, in some pretty impressive time. Yeah. So again, for those interested in that pick four sequence, it starts at race 12, about 10, 10 PM. And again, obviously the round table, we go into all of these races in depth, but race 13 is where we'll see bulldog Hanover. That one will go off about 10 31. And um, yeah, so bulldog Hanover may be the standard pred that, uh, you know, the most fans outside of the sport may know right now, because he went 145 and four for the mile back in uh, July up at the Meadowlands. And that is a world record time. Um, you know, obviously, having worked, you know, working at the Meadowlands for me, being in that winter circle when he came back was just, I uh, still getting chills right now thinking about it. That was absolutely one of the coolest things ever. I, I mean, to see that horse do that. And it's not only that, uh, he's just been incredible since then. Um, you know, Pete, it's funny, actually last August when we started this show for first over and supporting uh, Woodbine Mohawk, he was the first horse we ever discussed on the show in a featured race. He was in the featured race last August for Sire Stakes up at Wood by Mohawk. And at the time, you know, he was a good horse, but not sure if anyone expected him to get to this level. But he finished off last year with 10 wins from 15 starts. He made nearly 600000 And all of a sudden this year, he's won 10 times from 11 starts. And uh, with a significant check in this race, he could pass a million dollars in earnings already in September. And, you know, we still have a good five, six, seven weeks of the season left leading up to of course, the Breeders' Crown, our equivalency of the Breeders' Cup. So, uh, you know, there's a lot to look forward to um, for the rest of his season. And for sure, you know, he's the one to knock off in this pacing derby. 
Um, he's probably a single in pretty much every pick four ticket out there. So, you know, that that's, I guess, the difficulty, though, with this race is that uh, he, he's, he's going to be the flight line one to nine in this race, either, I guess, uh, single him on top or, or toss him entirely. It's one or the other. When you're talking about a horse that's so associated with the pod, JK, made me think of uh, Divisadero on our show. Maybe Divisadero didn't rise to these type <laughs> of heights, but it is fun when you do these shows. There's certain horses you just develop a relationship with over time. Uh, I get it. And, and I was going to ask Edison who I can single. Everyone knows I love a nice little single, but he already answered that question for me. So I'll have to tune into the round table uh, to pick up uh, the other ones. Yeah. Are there any other specific tips you want to give out Edison here before we uh, get on with the show? Yeah. We'll just uh, chat the the big one real quick. The, the namesake race here for the evening is the Cedars Caesars trotting classic. That's race 14. And you know, it's interesting. It's a trot race where there's none from the Aki's Fonstead barn. Aki's Fonstead, of course, uh, very well known for his training abilities with the trotters. And in fact, the last time I was on the show, Pete, we discussed a race on Hamiltonian Day where he had five of the eight trotters in the big trot race, one of the bigger trotting races of the day um, at the Meadowlands. He has none in here, so it makes it very interesting. But, you know, going back to what I said about, you know, being able to follow these harness horses for a while, um, this is a great example of it that we see in this race, the 10 horse Bella Bellini, who will be my top choice. That's last year's Hamiltonian Oaks winner, much like, you know, equivalency of the Kentucky Oaks. Last 2019 Hamiltonian winner, forbidden trades in this field. So, you know, again, when you compare it to thoroughbreds where some winners from three or four years ago in the Derby may not be around, this is the horse that's still racing week in and week out. And the seven Jujube was last year's Breeders Crown winner, equivalency, of course, of our Breeders Cup. So we have stars across several years in the Stroud and Classic, but the one I'll go to is the 10 Bella Bellini. She's six for 13 this year. You know, she, she's been very, very good um, lately. And, uh, you know, she's had a couple rough patches with some trips in the most recent starts. And, you know, she's going to have to work out a trip from that outside post 10 here uh, tonight. But, uh, you know, I think the price is going to be right. I think she might be a second or maybe even a third choice behind a horse like Quattro de Olio and Juju B. So hopefully we can get her at like a four or five to one kind of price. Um, and maybe use Juju B maybe underneath, maybe those two in a little bit of an exact and maybe try to get around the most likely favorite Quattro de Olio from the rail. But uh, that for sure is the major race of the night. And I think it's also going to be a great betting board by the end of the race as well. Folks looking for much more should check out the round table. You'll find it in the first over feed. You'll find it in the, in the money media, uh, what we call the black feed, the house feed, and uh, check that out. You'll get the detailed selections from an all-star cast of analysts. Edison does a fantastic job over there. We appreciate you taking some time out today. And uh, JK, you famously said you're interested in, in wait, if there's horses running in a circle, you're interested in wagering. We're ready to expand your, your horizons now into the harness uh, landscape. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready to rock. <laughs> Good stuff, boys. We'll see you soon. Today's show brought to you by our friends at the Caesars Trotting Classic. Guests can enjoy the best the sport has to offer on Friday, September 23rd, with an estimated 1.4 million in purses and Grand Circuit action on the card highlighted by the fifth edition of the $200,000 Caesars Trotting Classic. Witness the world's fastest standard bread as Bulldog Hanover makes his highly anticipated return to Harris Hoosier Park for the first time since the Dan Patch Stakes victory in the $175,000 Harris Hoosier Park Pacing Derby. In addition to the Grand Circuit action, guests can enjoy handicapping contests, cash giveaways, food trucks, family fun entertainment, and more as part of Harris Hoosiers Park's Community Night at the Races during the Caesars Trotting Classic card. For more information, go to InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash.
Next up on the show, very happy to welcome in a frequent guest. You've seen him on our final answer shows. You've seen him come by from time to time talking about his role in uh, TaylorMade partnerships, specifically medallion racing. He is Philip Shelton. Philip, what's going on? Uh, thanks, Pete. You saved me from the uh, September sale for the last couple of days, so I appreciate you getting me out of there into the office. <laughs> it's been a busy September sale for our friends at TaylorMade. Tell us some of the highlights. Yeah, so I think, you know, we we um, are likely to be leading consigner for the wholesale. The sale's been very strong, which I think just is kind of built on, you know, the last couple of years have been very strong, which is just encouraging, you know, for people that are involved in the business. You know, I'm, I'm a fan first, um, so I just want the, the business to continue. It's something I've grown up loving. So I think when you see this strength really at every level, um, it, it's really strong. Our yearling partnership was lucky enough to purchase – purchased five uh, yearling fillies. So we have a, uh, a constitution. Um, there's obviously, you know, top side, we got a Medaglia Dioro, uh, Cairo Prince, a Liam's map and a twirling candy. So we're really excited. They're back at the farm now, get a couple weeks uh, easy before they head to, um, before they head to Ocala. So we're, we're really looking forward to, to that. And just from a tailor-made perspective, you know, I think we're, like I said, we'll be end up likely being leading consigner and just um, gives you a lot of momentum kind of heading into the last couple months of, of the racing season into the Breeders' Cup and, and then on to the November sale from there. So great stuff. I recently did that chat with Alan from TaylorMade Partnerships. If folks want to learn more, I recommend checking that out. You can find it on our YouTube channel, on our social media. You can also go to the TaylorMadePartnerships.com website where you can find information about the Bloodstock investment side and about the medallion racing side including i would imagine philip the the yearling partnership are there is i'm not sure if the window yeah. will open in that but uh if folks want to learn more i imagine that's the place to go yeah it's still open anybody that's interested we can send you the info on the horses that we purchased so far we'll probably also look at the october sale we kind of have some pedigree requirements so as we get into the last couple books of the keeneland september sale, a lot of those horses not that they, they can't be good racehorses but they just don't meet our kind of you know when you're buying six to eight you can be really selective on on what you want um and hopefully you can find a spot in the market when you're going to buy 10 to 12 you can kind of be be whatever but for us you know we felt like hey we have this really narrow bullseye so we're immediately throwing out a bunch of the horses that that could be good racehorses but they just don't fit what we're trying to do um but we're really happy with the five we bought so far and, and we'll probably look at the october sale as well as well it is one of the things I really like about what you guys do in your approach to partnership. I mean, there's a very well thought out business model. We talked about it with Alan. You can see it there on the site if you want to learn more. But you're here today, my friend, to talk about a pair of grade one races at Parks on Saturday. We're going to have a lot more on this card on the plus side for folks who want to learn more about that in the moneypodcast.com slash plus. But wanted to have you in to talk about these two grade one races that we've got cooking on Saturday. We'll start off talking about the cotillion, which is it's both of these races came up really yeah. interesting. Um, this one though, is where we will begin. Philip, what do you think of this? Uh, what do you think of this race? We're going a mile and a 16th for these three-year-old fillies um, on the park's dirt. And, and just to even extrapolate out, the whole card is great. Like I kind of dug into these two races first and I was like, I'll peel back, look at some multis and stuff. I mean, the whole, I mean, you look even like the first race has 17 horses uh, entered. So, I mean, it's just a great card up and down. You know, I really kind of want to play against Secret Oath. I've been on here a couple of times and said, hey, you know, I, in the CCAO, because I was picked Secret Oath over Nest. And last time I was like, you know, I learned my lesson. Um, 
you know, she's danced a lot of dances. And from a figure standpoint at this point in the year, she's just not a lot faster than everybody else. And you're likely to get a very short price. To me, I landed on Shahama. Um, you know, I thought coming over, they were pretty high on her going into the Oaks. You know, she didn't run that bad. Uh, she ran sixth. And that was a huge ass to come over from Dubai, settle in here, run. I thought a race in the Mother Goose was was pretty good. And then I thought last time she was just miles the best. I think she's got good speed to sit close. Um, she's drawn pretty well to the outside. Um, you know, I think there there's potential more upside um, with her. And, and I, I, you know, that's kind of where I landed. I could see it and I want her on my tickets. I've been very impressed with her as a, a physical specimen as well. I like the yeah. way she moves. I ultimately did not pick her. I would certainly have her as at least a, at least a backup in this spot, but Adair Manor is a horse I want to talk to you about. I mean, she ran some really fast races this spring, never looking like she'd gotten everything her own way either. I like the fact that she could probably lead. I think she could probably also sit and pounce yeah. with the ladder tactics might being what you might want in this race. And then she was very wide. Remember on that black eyed Susan day course, where it certainly felt like ground loss mattered. And I like the looks of these workouts since. I haven't seen a clock or report or anything, but you're just steady and fast. And I think she might be a battle-tested runner. And when you bake in some figure improvement for this three-year-old filly for the time she's been away, I think she could be as fast as any of them. I, I would like to think maybe with Secret Oath and some of these others in there, you could get something on the order of seven to two or three to one. But this is the one I thought was the most interesting. What do you think of her? Yeah, I think I'm always like somewhat skeptical. As good as the California males traditionally are, the California females, for whatever reason, feel like they just lack a little bit. Now, you get a gamine or something that can be this sure. absolute freak, but <laughs> it feels like they lack that. And I'll say that um, the motto had the Philly that ran third in the Oaks. Um, but the biggest problem I have is, you know, I thought she ran really well last time. I think Interstate Daydream's a nice Philly. I don't think she's, you know, I guess the bigger question, what would Interstate Daydream be in here? I mean, bigger than 72. Way, right? way bigger than 72, yeah. and I think the connections. <laughs> and when I try to figure out, you know, I'm just a value – I can't go bet, you know, 2500 to win on, on somebody. That's not the way that I budget for the weekends or whatever. So, for me, I just try to find the value and then key around that opinion. Um, so, for me, you know, it'll be betting – shaman exactas and stuff i'd probably play against the dare manor the one thing i do think that you said that's really interesting you get to this later point in the year and it's really easy to just take all the numbers at face value but then you really look and you're like hey she hasn't run since may with any sort of improvement it puts her like 94 95 buyer which would make her maybe it would make her seven to two like it would make her a very you know obvious contender i don't love the inside draw um I think the one could go to the lead and maybe she just does end up getting the per the perfect trip sitting just off and she's fast enough to lead. But, um, you know, I just, I always have a hard time when these horses coming from California and they're running in four or five horse fields. And then you come, come to a nine horse field here. That really is a pretty deep race. I mean, I think there, you think you could go four or five different ways in here, you know, on the win. I mean, even look to the horse to the outside. I don't like betting horses that are coming off of, Charlestown races because it's such a unique track with the bull ring and it's hard. I mean, but that really ran a hundred buyer. Yeah. Um, now what you what you'd probably say is, hey, you know, her four previous buyers were all mid seventy, so that hundred's probably not realistic. Um, 
but the mile and a 16th probably suits. You know, there's a bunch of different, you could make a case even for that horse. It's a wide open race, I think. And I just wanted to try to find a little value. I like that idea. You mentioned exactas, and you mentioned being a little bit against Secret Oath and Adair Manor. Which are the other horses you'd throw in uh, with Shahama in those exactas? Yeah, I think gerrymander cutting back in distance is is pretty obvious. I don't think you're going to get eight to one with Rosario and Chad Brown. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to completely toss Secret Oath, but I, I think to me, she just doesn't look look faster than everybody else. So she would be the main horse. I, I would be king the seven with the five and the six, which are gerrymander and secret oath. And then, you know, I could possibly be even slightly intrigued uh, with the one um, green up just, you know, she's run really fast in her last start. She likes the track. She has some other races outside of that 100 buyer that are competitive. Um, third start off a layoff, you know, she beat interstate daydream pretty easy last time. Just, it was a common horse that shows up in a couple of these horses, PPs. Um, you know, and I don't love the rail draw for her either, but I think she can maybe, I don't know if she's going to float up, but she's just, you know, it's big name connections, but she hasn't been on the main circuit, which, you know, maybe you take that as a slight negative for Todd that she's been kind of picked his spots with her. Um, but, you know, like she broke her maiden at Gulfstream and then she won a one other than at Gulfstream pretty easy. And then she just got a break and, you know, just come back and just win those races by eight and a half. She would be a horse. Her secret oath and gerrymander would be the ones I'm playing around. Makes sense. And, and you mean, you, you didn't rule out society either, but you don't think the nine society would end up on tickets? For me, no. I'd be focusing on those four, um, the one, five, six, and seven, like in any multis. Um, if I was going to play tries or something, I could I could have, have society. But, um, you know, I think she could take some money. And, again, I, I think when you, when you kind of freak at weird tracks like Charlestown, it's like a horse that runs good on the slot. Yep. You know, is it the slop or is it this? Is it the fact that, hey, she got on the lead in a bull ring, she kind of kicked clear really early on the stretch and then the race was over? Um, I try to just kind of fade those performances a little bit, especially because it was such a huge jump. Um, hey, she's just a huge bounce candidate uh, anyways. But, you know, then the fact that her other races just don't seem to match up. No, it makes sense. Which of these things is not like the other and the potential uh, Charlestown horse for course. It is so different when you're basically running around a turn, um, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the whole race. way. <laughs> Let's talk about this race. Number 12, the Pennsylvania Derby grade one action for these three-year-olds going a mile and an eighth. This one for me, Philip has the look of an absolute scramble. I feel like you could tell stories about uh, six different yeah. runners in here. Who do you think's going to end up in the winner's circle? Yeah. I I, I agree. I think this is a really interesting race from a betting standpoint. I think there's a fair amount of speed in here. You've got We the People, who's fast. You've got B-Doc, who's stretching out, and it's, it's fast. Um, you know, you've got Cyberknife, who's not going to let anybody get away. You know, if you feet to the fire, I'd probably pick Cyberknife. Um, you know, in general, historically, I don't love horses coming out of the Traverse to the Penn Derby. I think it's a little bit short. Um, wheel back, especially for like Cyberknife, who's ran in the Haskell and, and there. But I think he's just made a lot of improvement. I thought his win in the Haskell, you know, he won by a head over Tyba. You know, he, I mean, he was so loaded the whole way down on the inside. It was just like, is he going to get through or not? Um, and then I thought really he ran really well in the Travers last time. He, you know, he went to the lead, which probably is not his preferred style. Um, you know, Epicenter just at this point is clearly the best three year old in the country. Um, you know, I'm somewhat interested with Skippy Longstocking. 
I thought last time he showed a little bit more speed to stay closer to the pace, and he just feels like one of those grinding-type horses. And I think he's drawn, you know, right outside of, of the horse, I think, that could be on the lead, which is B-Doc. We the people probably goes. But I think he could be getting a scenario where he sits just behind those horses, and he took a step forward last time. It was on a sloppy track. Um, but, you know, he did run third in the Belmont. He didn't completely disgrace himself in the Preakness. But he just feels like one of those horses that's getting a little bit better right now. He's had a little bit more time between starts. You know, he would be a horse I'd be using, um, and, and I would be using Ty. But I think the horse that I probably would want to be betting against a little bit is Zandon. I saw Nick Tamara was like, hey, we're going to load up as soon as they cut this horse back. Um, and I kind of feel that way, like – you know, maybe a mile and an eight is what he wants, but you know, really he had no excuse in the gym dandy and given the trip that epicenter got, I can't really come up with much of an excuse for him in the Travers. I'm actually surprised that Chad is the king of never wheeling anything back on four weeks rest. If I'm like even a little bit surprised that he, that he came back here. So maybe that's a vote of confidence and um, you switch to Rosario. So maybe that's a, a positive, but you know, I could see him being a horse that takes a bunch of money and I would just want to be slightly fading him a little bit. Like, he feels like one of those horses that does need a cutback. I mean, he looks loaded at points in races and just has not done it. And you could go back to the, you know, the bluegrass and say, well, you know, it was how strong of a race was that? Um, he was so miles the best in there. You felt like, man, he could be anything. Um, but I just don't know that, you know, the, stri- the, the longer distance, maybe coming back to a mile and a 16th maybe seven eights at some point in time would, would be his benefit of one turn mile. Probably. It is interesting that he's here for a second. I was thinking, Oh, yeah. is this his last chance to get a grade one routing? Is that why they're doing it? But he already has a grade one routing. Yeah. Not that. Um, I mean, you know, I don't blame anybody who says in Chad, we trust. And if he is five or six to one, want to keep him outside. Yeah. But I, I was inclined like you to take a little bit of a stand against. We landed on the same horse on top. I really think Cyberknife does look, the more I look, the most interesting horse. I love that he showed that more pace last time, probably not his yeah. preferred running style, and still ran a new top figure-wise. Yeah. This is a horse who's just like bursting with ability to me at this point. I love the way, uh, you know, when we had the, uh, Brad Cox on the show earlier in the week, I just, he doesn't like come out and overtly yeah. crazy. That's not his style, but he speaks with great confidence about this horse you know when i asked him about breeders cup the first horse that came to his mind was well we'll see what cyberknife gets on this weekend but it's interesting you could you can kind of tell in the back of his mind he's thinking this could be a, even a, a breeders cup classic horse and in this year with all the you know excitement that's going on in the top of that division there's those are the softer reasons to like him the harder reasons to like him are new improved yeah. speed still ran super fast last time and i think he's going to be in a great attacking spot I'm not sure who exactly yeah. is going to make the lead. I like your B-Doc case for making the lead. I could see Taba being ridden more aggressively. I think we know We the People is going to be ridden aggressively. I just think he's going to get a great trip, and he might even be better than what we've seen so far, um, Cyber Knight. Yeah. His signature win may be yet to come. Yeah, I completely agree. He's a horse they've thought a lot of the whole time, and he's just, you know, you go back and watch a lot of his races. He's not the easiest horse to ride, um, and – yeah, like the only concern I would have, right, is that he ran a new top, came back in four weeks, ran a new top. He's coming back in four weeks now. Is it just a bridge too far? But in my mind, um, you know, he's just – he's very talented. I think Tybud probably got a little bit unlucky in the Haskell. He had to go wide. Cyber Knight ended up saving ground. 
but as loaded as Cyberknife felt, it felt like maybe if he got clear earlier, you know, he would have just kicked two or three clear. Taiba feels also kind of like a grinder. Like he just maintains that, that strong gallop all the way through the stretch. Um, so, you know, the fact that he was wide was probably a slight disadvantage, but, you know, I don't know that he necessarily could have just absolutely quick and cyber night feels like you hit go and he gets through the hole and can quick. And so to me, he, he might just have the most upside. Yeah. I'm not going to be, if I'm playing multis, I'm not going against Taiba. There's a case to be made for him for sure. I thought my one thought on him, why he could improve past Cyberknife maybe is if you just look at his overall development pattern and think that with the 77 days and since the debacle of the Derby for him, that maybe he was just the littlest bit short. Maybe he's actually in that training program supposed to come on for that run. Yeah, I know it's 60 days, but now he's coming off a good effort in 60 days. I mean, look, he's just going to be such a favorite, and I don't, I just don't fully trust him for as little as we've seen him on the track. He'd be my backup, though. That, that's how I'd, that's how I'd try to get away with it in horizontals in the Pennsylvania Derby. Any closing thoughts from you, Philip, before we uh, close this segment of the show? No, I think that, again, just a great. I give, I love weekends like this at these smaller tracks. Um, you know they've poured so much money. I mean, you look at a lot of the races, $200,000 purses, but it's really created a niche and there are a bunch of great races. So, if, you know, not just looking at, I would definitely encourage people to look at the plus context. I mean, it's a great card all the way through and it's, it's just fun. Like, you know, yeah, it's great to have these big weekends at Saratoga, but you kind of get, you know, the Haskell has created this big weekend and you got the Molly pitcher and some of these other races, you got the turf monster and just all the, you know, the, the gallant Bob and you, you, What's really cool to me is it's like the last three-year-old races. You got the Gallup, you know, the three-year-old sprint race, the Philly race, the Colt race. Um, and I think it's just, it's a lot of fun. And they're great betting races. And traditionally, they normally are always great betting races. I mean, and they're, they're very competitive. I remember we won the Cotillion with Street Band. And, you know, I think we beat right. five, we beat four grade one winners in there, including the Oaks winner and the two-year-old champion. And it's, you know, it's like, <laughs> It's hard. I mean, even at Sarat- you know Saratoga, the quality at the top was great. But from a gambling perspective, you know, a lot of those races weren't great betting races. Not a short like, again, the, the way I bet they're not. Yeah. Um, you know, I would have said Delmar was a way better gambling product for the way I gamble. Now, for people that are just going to go hammer somebody that they have a strong opinion on, maybe Saratoga was great. But And from a fan perspective, it was great to see all those big matchups. But I think cards like this are really fun. This is where normal in general – um, it can be feast or famine, but I have my most success in full fields where I have an opinion and I can leverage that opinion into a multi or, or a big exactor or something like that. So these are the cards I really love sinking my teeth into um, from just from a wagering perspective. So I'm really excited for for Saturday. We'll see how it works. We're going to have Andrew uh, Radzinski and I will be doing a little audio pod covering stakes races. And I believe Jessica Paquette, who's going to be on the simulcast feed, uh, for the day is going to be doing some written content for us. So a lot of stuff going to be cooking in the moneypodcast.com slash plus Philip, we look forward to checking in with you soon. Yep. Thanks Pete. I appreciate it. Good luck to everybody this weekend. You probably want to check this out. We got one standard room at the Griffin gate Marriott resort and spa for three nights, checking in November 3rd, checking out November 6th. The Griffin gate Marriott is one of the designated breeders cup hotels completely sold out rooms, uh, retail value, theoretically about 1500 per night. 
We've added a bunch of other fun TRF and Breeders' Cup goodies, including swag, a tour of one of the Kentucky farms, and four tickets to the TRF Breeders' Cup party on November 4th, which is happening right there at the Griffin Gate. I'll be there. Uh, here's the link with all the details, including the eBay auction, in themoneypodcast.com slash TRFBC. So if you want to get a crack at this room, in themoneypodcast.com slash TRFBC. You know it's for a great cause. Tell your friends, get involved. In themoneypodcast.com slash TRFBC. Next up on the show, we're going to be going over the Belmont at Aqueduct pick six on Saturday, which kicks off in race number six. As we record this on Thursday, it's rainy here in New York and in Saratoga, but it does look like Friday, Saturday are pretty clear. Well, hopefully we're going to be uh, on the turf for these races. That's the way I looked at them. And to look at them with me, we bring in a man who we always like to have on to talk all things Naira. He is also a race lens power user and will be helping us look at the sequence through the, the prism. I won't say lens of race lens. He is Matt Vagvolgi. Matt, what's going on, man? Not much, not much. It's good to uh, good to be back on and uh, good to be talking some uh, some races at uh, at the Royal Aqueduct. <laughs> and, uh, very happy about that. Did you was, were you as entertained as I was when Royal Aqueduct took on new meaning last weekend when Frankie Dettori did the flying dismount? I mean, that yeah, was- I, I think it's perfect. I think it's what should have happened uh, given the name of the meet. I think the only thing that's missing, in my opinion, is I think for talking horses, I think they should have a horse drawn carriage bring in. Anthony Stabile and, and and Andy Sterling. They can wave to the crowd with their top hats. And I think you get Nick Luck to do the intro. He comes that's in, it. he does like, welcome to Talking Horses, and you see the horse-drawn carriage come in. I mean, that to me is Royal Aqueduct uh, in, in, in a nutshell right there. Oh, my goodness. You're giving me an idea. You know, this it sounds like this horse, I spoke with uh, Brad Cox earlier in the week about him, looms boldly. Is running. I heard that. Interesting. On Thursday, I I may have to bring a jug. They call it. We'd call it a pitcher. They would call it a jug of pims out there to uh, to Royal Aqueduct just for the photo opportunity. I think I may. I think I may do that. Yeah, that could be (laughs) that could be fun. All right, but that's not till Thursday. Saturday, we're going to look at this pick six. It starts with race number six, three forty five Eastern, and we kick off with two year old maiden special weights on the grass. We're going six furlongs here. Um, big full field. Who do you like in this one? I think it's a good, uh, it's a good race to start, to uh, start things off. Uh, I'm going to look at a few horses. I'll start with the, uh, the number one, uh, bat flip. Um, and, and I'll give you a stat that we talked about during Saratoga. And it's kind of funny. I was talking with a buddy of mine about this and it was very profitable then. Um, just looking at Pletcher taking horses from the dirt going first time turf. He seems to be placing these horses perfectly. And the numbers are, are 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 very good. So again, if you look at it for for the year so far, um, you know, out of thirty five tries, he's hitting at twenty five percent with a positive eighteen percent ROI, and that's pretty good. I mean, again, I think he's placing these horses properly. I think it's something that you may not think of, right? Nothing that I think is just like not like a Chad Brown, right, off the dirt to turf. It's just like okay. He's supposed to be here. Let's bet him. So I think it's an angle that you don't necessarily think of right off top of mind. But has great numbers. And if you look at over the last month, he's sitting at 50% with these horses. So um, I like that. So that's certainly a horse I want to pay attention to. I think there's more pedigree on the turf here. Uh, so that's the one bat flip for uh, for Pletcher and uh, Jose Ortiz. Um, first time starter I'll look at, uh, again, for obvious reason, is I believe the five, uh, Rutherford for uh, Clement and, uh, and, and McCarthy aboard. Uh, again, just 
you know, hitting solid numbers with two-year-olds. I mean, doing Clement doing his two-year-old thing, right? 23% winners still with a $2.82 ROI. Anything over $2 to me uh, with Clement with these two-year-olds is, is significant. So I'll give, uh, I'll give uh, Rutherford a look. And then uh, also going to look at uh, the, uh, I believe the eighth, uh, uh, Mullinger, is how you say it, Mullinger. Uh, second time on the turf, I thought ran pretty, uh, pretty decent. Um, the last time out, that was a tough, uh, tough maiden race at Saratoga. Uh, routing going to get this horse going uh, going with a sprint so uh, again one thing that jumped out too I want to mention this as, as a stat as well for for Mott um, first time blinkers 36% winners with a 412 ROI I and mean, that's that's pretty damn good so how big of a sample is that uh, that is out of that's a crazy number <laughs> yeah yeah let me just give me just a quick second uh, sure. I'll do the uh, Jonathan Kitchen talk as <laughs> uh, as I can to All find find this horse and pull it back up again uh that is out uh not bad 26 starters so i mean that's not a terrible sample it's not huge but uh again i think that's something of of interest there that uh, i want to take a look at so again decent effort first time out getting get to getting this horse to sprint and uh, some good numbers with the first time uh first time blinkers out with mom looking at one five eight for matt i've got a bunch of other numbers to throw in there in addition to two of the ones that are the same i, I had real trouble narrowing this race down i think i might use five and long time listeners know how infrequent that is for me i did put rutherford on top looks super useful clement as you noted great record with first time starters amazing with as obvious as that is if you watch new york racing at all amazing that the rois are as good as they are and then ped pedigree like you mentioned lone sibling to try turf one over it and more than ready, you know, need the late more than ready needed no introduction um, in terms of his ability as a turf sprint sire and also a first outsire. I wanted to have the four Nagar rock in here as well. I thought that was a very useful effort sprinting turf sprinting on debut. And I didn't think that was the easiest trip. So we've got valuable experience and then the switch to the motion barn. I thought this one might be interesting. Again, we're doing this early no morning lines, but felt like a horse that could be at least a, a mid-type price. I don't know. Maybe I'm dead wrong about that. I wanted to mention the two global surprise. This was another horse that I thought ran well enough on debut. Has some grass on the dam side. Cantheros, very well known for getting turf sprinters. I decided to do a little bit of a look, um, Matt, about Cantheros as a sire. And I was interested. Yeah, he is awesome as a turf sprint sire, like 15%. Oh, that would be over the average, which would be, you know, more like eight to 10. But I thought it was interesting. Dirt sprinting, Cantharos has been even better, 17%. So it's funny. It's not, you don't want to pigeonhole Cantharos as just a turf sprint guy, but he does have good numbers and, and global surprise made sense to me. Happy Cat, I thought. Plenty of pedigree. Trainer that wins first out. And and the case you made on, on the one, Batflip made sense. So I was going to do it five and four on the A-line, backing up with two, six, and one to get things kicked off as we move to leg B, this starter allowance race going six furlongs on the dirt. I thought that the three, fast and furious, was potentially loose, in light, figure advantage. Only thing is going to be bet and tough to trust the, the, the oh, this horse. The form of the last race not working out well with five to come back and no winners yet out of that race, but still a must-use. The one I thought might be a little bit of a price that maybe that I thought could be interesting is the, what I believe is the four. Letty could get an absolutely perfect trip. If the top one ends up getting harassed on the front end by a runner like Drink the Wind or somebody else, then you're looking at Letty. Second time off the layoff. First off the claim, 
for Linda Rice, who's been absolutely crushing it at the meet. And I joked in a group text the other day, Matt, that, um, you know, we'll all be dead and Linda Rice will still be training winners in New York waiting for the result of uh, this appeal or whatever it is going on. I've, I've given up paying attention to it. Matt, who's going to win race number seven? Well, I think you make uh, uh, all, all great points on Letty. Uh, I think this is a, a very good looking, uh, very good looking cult. Um, sec- like you said, second off the layoff with Linda Rice. I, I, I did a lot, lot to like there. I think the horse will get a lot of uh, attention. Uh, just like you mentioned with uh, uh, Fast and Furious on the front end, um, I do project this horse to get the lead. And just to revisit um, you know, a, a track profile stat that we talked about uh, bringing in the Royal Aqueduct meet, um, to look at specific distances and this being six furlongs on the dirt with uh, looking back. So the, the, you know, looking back at races that were horses on, on the lead at first call, and then today projected to be uh, on the lead, um, you know, decent sample, 38 starts, 32% winners with a 66% ROI. So that's telling me that's carrying over uh, to this meet as well. Where, when we talked about it, it was weird. It was in the beginning of the last meet at Sar- at, 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 uh, at Aqueduct, was more of off the pace pretty much every from from dirt routes to dirt sprints and then you saw midway it started to change i think that trend is still continuing so i think fast and furious is certainly dangerous um uh, in this race as well one horse i wanted to mention that you didn't uh, talk about is uh looking at uh what would it be the number six uh cathedral beach um I, just nice back-to-back wins I, I think this horse is going in the right direction in terms of uh in terms of figures um, I just think should get a similar stalking position. Um, you know, worried a little bit about fast and furious may have some company up front. I think his natural speed is probably a good enough to get a clear lead, but just in case, I, I just think cathedral beach gets a nice stalking position here. Uh, similar company of those last two wins at Saratoga. So that's certainly a horse I wanted to use as well. So I'm going to go six, three on the a line and I'm going to back up with, uh, with the four Letty uh, that you mentioned as well. All right, good stuff. Let's talk about uh, the next race in the sequence, race eight. We've got a first-level allowance going a mile and a 16th on the turf. Matt, we'll keep it with you. So I'm going to start with um, – I'm going to go with the number uh, – let's see, where did I go here? Uh, number three, uh, Celestial City. Um, you know, listen, I, I think this – you look at it two ways, right? This horse just doesn't like uh, – you know, it, it, it doesn't like to get her uh, – or doesn't uh, this colt doesn't like to get his picture taken – as of recent, but I just think it's been really knocking on the door. And those have been very good races. And then you look at the relative competition today. Um, you know, I think, you know, dead heating, you know, uh, last time out there, um, I just nice efforts in graded stakes company, I think finds a little bit of a softer group. I think is going to be, uh, I think it's going to be tough today. It's a horse I do really like uh, in, in race number eight. Um, I'll also take a look at the, um, let's see here. And uh, we're, we're using no, uh, we're not using any uh, <laughs> PPs. The perils with, of the with, Thursday with the record. The perils yeah. of the Thursday record, yeah. Um, I'm, I like uh, Transactional as well. Second time out for uh, for Chad and, and, and Manny. That was a great effort at Saratoga. You know, sat right off the pace and, and got the job done by half length. Um, you know, comes back in a, in a, in a decent amount of time, not a big layoff there. So, and I think with Manny aboard, um, you're going to have, uh, this horse forwardly placed. So I, I do like that horse, um, you know, up, up on, up on the lead. So I do project the, uh, the four to get the lead. And, uh, again, give you another stat there as well. Um, you're looking at turf routes, same as we did as with the dirt sprints, um, to kind of revisit those, uh, angles we talked about before the meet, 
uh, projected on the lead with these uh, turf routes, you know, 29% winners and 122% ROI. So stealing some nice money uh, on the front end. So I think this horse is going to have some speed. I think we'll get to the, uh, we'll get to the lead, but uh, I'm going to go with two horses here, Pete, the uh, three and four in uh, race number eight. We're, we're in lockstep this time around. I just flipped the order transactional. The other note I had was this was a horse that was acting up pre-race. I think even might've dumped the jock briefly in the post parade last time. Still won easily has worked well since just looks like a runner who's poised to move up, but I'm not going to ignore the class of celestial city back at the condition. Another one that looks like should be able to move forward in this spot. I was going to put on a backup line, the eight owls rocket, who I thought has shown pretty good finish the last two days. And I thought I had meaningful trouble last time having to wait for run. Um, I thought Al's Rocket might, we'll see how Al's Rocket classes up with Transactional and Celestial City, but I thought it was an interesting runner to at least include on some tickets in this spot. Let's talk about our ninth race. We've got New York bread allowance types going a mile on the dirt, pace projected as fast by Timeform US. Do you agree with that assessment? And who's your idea of the winner, Matt? Yeah, I, I do think there's going to be a quick pace here. And I think it sets up nicely for the horse I like. Uh, probably going to get a lot of attention and take a lot of money, but this is going to be my single uh, in, in the sequence um, is going to be uh, the seven uh, key points uh, for, for Manny and Chad. Now, again, when you look at this horse, you know, debuted two to one, next race off a layoff, even money, two to five, three to five, two for four, right? You know, again, You'd expect that horse to be higher confidence. Though I did note that the two non-wins, they weren't bad races, but the two non-wins were both in the mud. I was wondering if that was maybe something. Correct. So you got to dig a little bit deeper. And that first line is obviously looking at service, right? Surface that that's the biggest thing. So difference from, you know, early twenties, Matt, I look at that and say, nope, I'm beating this horse. I'm not even going to look at anything else where for me, I just, I look at it and say, okay, I want to beat this horse. And then I, exactly what you said, surface difference. And I think those losses, were, were very difficult races. And I just think this horse finds the softest spot, you know, other than that, the, the uh, first, uh, the first start at Saratoga, I think finds the right group, the right pace as well. I think we'll get a hot pace up front. We'll sit probably either third or fourth off the lead and be, uh, be very much in contention uh, coming into the stretch. So uh, that's going to be my single here. I'm going to try to lean on the uh, number seven key point, to uh, to get it done at probably a short-ish price, but uh, I think is 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 best in the race, and I think finds the right group. We feel exactly the same. I I didn't fully trust based on the idea of beating at evens, beating at three to five. But the more I look, the more I like. Just because I think you can conjure excuses. You know, the very wide the last day, both those races that weren't wins were in mud trickier groups potentially second off the layoff here with big races to run back to and a good trip expected i was going to keep it simple and single the seven as well hopefully we'll get key point in for the hopes of our pick six that we're talking about here at belmont at the big a let's move on to uh sort of the co-feature there's great at stake earlier in the card the athenia but this is the ashley t cole stakes new york breads going a mile and an eighth on the turf and I thought it might be as simple as City Man in this spot. The five runner did not break great last time. Didn't really have an excuse. Just found one better. Um, back in 19 days, I think we'll be very sharp. Looks like the fastest, classiest horse. A legitimate grade three horse versus open in back against New York Preds. Um, not good the last time against New York Preds. It's not like the horse is nailed on. But I thought there were trip excuses that day. 
you look, you wonder about the distance a little, or I wondered about the distance a little bit. Hasn't won at nine furlongs, but you go back and you look, and one of the best races was at nine furlongs. I don't think that's a problem. I wouldn't hate having a backup or two here, but I thought City Man was the most likely winner and was the only one I had in my notes to talk about. Tell me how you see the Ashley T. Cole. Yeah, I, I think City Man is is without question the uh, the the horse to beat here. Um, I think just finds a much softer spot today. I think the 19 days coming back is horses in great form, finding a great spot to get this horse back into it. Felt that it was a, a good run the last time, maybe a little bit disappointing. Let's get this horse back out there and, and get a win. And I, I just think Clement find, found a great spot and is willing to put this horse back in on, on, on short rest. Um, yeah, I think much to be much, uh, much the best here. I think a really, really soft spot. I think should just be sitting right off the pace and uh, should be able to, to get this done. I will mention just another horse that I am going to include uh, on, on a backup that I think is a little bit interesting is, is Jerry, the nipper, um, you know, just a ton of races on the dirt does have one turf race and it was a win. Now is yeah different company than, than today, of course, but they tried to get this horse on the turf at Saratoga, got washed off, stayed in the race, ran in the mud, ran, ran. Okay. Uh, faded late, uh, but I like getting this horse back on the turf. I just really want to see this horse compete at a high level and improve for for Pletcher. So that was the other one I want to include, and uh, I don't know maybe get a little price with the expectation that City Man takes uh, a ton of money in uh, in this uh, in the stake uh, here in race number ten. I love that case, and I'm convinced that that's the right backup with the idea that if City Man loses, it's probably going to lose from a horse that maybe gets loose and, and is hard to peg back. That's the trip that I'm thinking Jerry the Nipper is going to probably get. I might also play one backup line with Sanctuary City just on the just on the 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 angle of that this was this is a horse that has finished in front of city man in the past and should be a multiple of that one's price i mean i'm going to put half the money in that i put in this race is going to go through the a it's a strong a but i will back up a little bit with the two and the six let's move on to our nightcap race number 11 classic nightcap saratoga uh, belmont aqueduct belmont at aqueduct nightcap stuff we've got the three and up New York bred Philly and mare maiden claimer forties going a mile and a 16th on the turf, Matt, how are we going to get paid? Man, this is a headache. This one. Um, I, I won't talk anyone off any horse they like here. Um, so I'll go through, I'll go through a few, just trying to draw on some, maybe some things that, you know, uh, horses trying maybe something different or for, you know, like this horse, you know, looking at the two, uh, frosty invasion um just getting back on the turf again you know got caught in a what i thought would to be a pretty uh pretty hot pace duel faded badly um get this horse back on the turf again i, I think in, in a similar spot those were straight maidens that was a tough race uh that turf race back at belmont uh in may uh so again i i think stretching out a little bit here i think would be uh would be good for this horse as well so thought frosty invasion was was interesting uh jenny may also i thought too just very similar to uh, to last race, just with a horse getting loose. I think that could be the case here. Um, I think Jenny May can get out front. Who knows? You know, just a bad field where uh, you know horses may not want to pass each other. This horse might go uh, gate to wire and steal on the front end. Um, also wanted to look uh, as uh, Oak loves a fight, which I believe is the nine. Yeah. I just feel like Noda hasn't won in a million years, which isn't true. It's gotten gotten a little bit better as as of late in the last thirty days. But I just think this horse is is getting better, has competed very well, especially in the last two races. I thought those were very good races. 
uh, a horse that's going to be sitting off of it. So again, if, if closers are doing well on the day, that's certainly a horse you want to include. Uh, it does have my base best late pace figure um, and also laying close to the pace, which I do like. So it doesn't have to make up a ton of lengths uh, to get it done. And uh, pretty, pretty good spread difference between the others in terms of late pace figure. So I uh, certainly want to look at uh, Oak loves a fight. Um, who else here? And then I, I give a, a shout out to uh, Kukuro. Is that how you say it? The, uh, the eight, Try and turf for the first time, and that's pretty much uh, all I got. <laughs> Didn't do much on the, on the dirt. Those were pretty tough races. I felt this horse was in um, uh, on, on the dirt. Given this, uh, this I think this filly has a shot here uh, getting on the turf for the first time. So there's some pedigree there as well. So uh, a light use there uh, on on the eights, but I just figured something different in a field that's very confusing. Um, so I would say two, three. Uh, on the A lines, and I will back up with the nine and the eight. Uh, also, too, I think you can mention that the the ten uh, ace upper sleeve second time on the turf. But uh, in terms of, of of A's and B's here, two three is A's and eight nine is B's. Looking for some strangers, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense in a race like this. Nota did win one the other day. Dust Devil got the got a yeah, win. It's one of those things where it's like in my head from like Saratoga. It's it's I almost I almost just rode off his horses pretty much uh, every every day towards the end of the meet. But you're right. I have seen him uh, pick it up a little bit uh, in, in the last month. So it can uh, change in a hurry. And he's oh, so freaky that you look for signs that it's going to turn around. And he's gonna yeah. And, and to be fair, I think it's just running into the wrong fields, too. I think that's a big thing to look at when trainers are cold and uh, it's funny uh, uh sean borman and i were talking about this the other day of like don't not just relying on the stats of of a trainer when they're cold it, it, it there could be a lot more into that it could be just flow of the barn it could be competition just falling in the wrong spots and then all of a sudden it's like overnight they snap back into it and that can like you said that can change very quickly so uh i i totally agree i think it'd be a little harsh on note i think he could change uh, very quickly uh with his uh, with his stats i'll date myself here because the game has changed so much at this point i'm about to make isn't particularly relevant but back in the old days like 90s when saratoga really held itself to a higher standard of racing than the other new york tracks these days it's just all about full fields and handle and that makes sense it's what horse players want it's what makes money for the horseman this isn't i'm not this isn't get off my lawn but you know it was just it just was what it was you had a lot more allowance races a lot fewer claiming races and there'd be New York claiming guys who would go over or one for a lot at Saratoga. I think of Gasper Moshera, a name probably before your time, Matt, in the game. And he'd, you know, have a one for Saratoga or an O for Saratoga, and then get back to Belmont where they're riding the races where his horses are, are more suited for and go on to like, I feel like every fall, at least there for a few years in the 90s when I was getting in the game, just go on an absolute tear. And it's different here with Noda because obviously they are in theory, running races where these horses should be competitive, but whatever, there, there are vagaries that you want to pay attention to. And yeah, I don't think you want to hold the, the last meet stats against a, a trainer like this. That said is this isn't a horse that I came up with. I get it, but I, it just, just looked like, um, you know, just looked like another horse in, in this absolute tricky, tricky race. One I'll mention you didn't mention who I think is fairly likely to get in off the AEs. Number 11, latest edition, I thought was interesting. I had a note held up briefly for room last time. And that was also a day when closers did really well looking at the Jake Jacobs racing flow data. It was heavily tilted towards closers. So I think this was a case of a runner. She just made the lead too fast on a, on a day when races were flowing like that. I think that 
she'd be a, a strong A for me if she gets in. I also had notes on the two and the three that you mentioned. I don't have anything in particular to, to add. It's the sometimes these dirt horses getting back onto the turf and people are going to look, oh, can't, she can't stand up on turf. Well, that was against straight maidens. That's a very different deal. And then the pace angle with uh, Janie May, the three. At this level, I want the horse who I think is going to be on the lead at the pace call every single time. So I'm going to play it with, I'll list the 11 on top of my picks with the two, three as backups, but I'm with you. Nobody, I'm not going to talk off anybody in here, a rare race where, you know, that the, the all makes sense. And certainly I would imagine the, with your ticket construction, and I want to do a show with you soon, all about ticket construction, by the way, but a great at all, do you think might be in your future in this race? Yeah. I mean, I have that noted as uh, you know, an all question mark and that's what I mean. Right. I'm not just going to, push the all button which again i'm not saying it's like the devil and you should never do it i just think there's there's just there's more efficient ways to do that and that's the way i've learned that's why i, t- I when i say great at all that's the reason right and a lot of times with the great at all i'm looking at more of what i'm projecting the tote board to be not necessarily what i feel are my best horses because if you're using it all you just got to admit to yourself you don't know what the hell is going to happen right you don't have an opinion right so i just try to take my ego out of it and say what are my projected paramutuals who have the leverage on the lower paying horses versus the mid range and then the long range and try to build it like that. But I certainly would look to try to build in, especially with a strong single of building in a, a great at all. You'd be surprised. Even if this thing is, you know, mid, mid price, short price getting into this last leg and a bomb shows up out of nowhere. I mean, that that's what really can blow the pick six up. So I don't want to be left, uh, left out. So, uh, so yeah, there, I think there will be some plays with, with great at alls on there uh, as well. Pete, it just makes sense in terms of what I expect the uh, multiples to be in this race of, of I would say a probably high priced uh, favorite uh, going off here. So I think, uh, I think using as many as you can would, would make sense. All right. Good stuff, Matt. Always enjoy talking with you and going on some tangents with you folks interested in learning more about race lens can check out the product in the money slash race lens. will bring you to the page. The code is in the money for new subscribers you get the first month for a dollar and then if you're returning or um or recurring subscriber in the money 40 for zero will get you a significant discount so we want folks to check that stuff out matt we will be talking soon cp next up in the show happy to welcome in our woodbine guy to talk about all things woodbine we'll probably start with a quick look back at last weekend which i did in depth with Nick Tamaro on the early week show. And then we're going to talk about the last four races on the card on Saturday from in the money Here's Drew Coatney. Drew, what's up? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you today? How did that opposing Applebee plan work last week? Oh, it was terrible. Oh my gosh. It was terrible. <laughs> it was, it was uh, not a great idea. And, and you know, <laughs> sometimes contrarian views are, are, are beneficial and can pay off. Uh, but at the same time, you got to balance some logic here of like who, who really is the, are these horses that are showing up and, and they really did put it on display that they are uh, several lengths better than the competition that we saw. Whereas we thought maybe we could eke out, you know, a a neck here or there, but not the case. It was full blown. These are horses that are going to look to have a, uh, a major impact come breeders cup time, especially modern games with that tour de force one twelve. Um, mystery night that was a big figure mysterious night excuse me big figure as well of course it was last call the one who undid me i whined about this on the early week show but i'll whine about it once more to you uh drew i would have had 
uh, had the second or the third won the Natalma, I would have had the the 20 cent pick five 125 times. Had a nice $25 line going through. Um, but yeah, not meant to be. Last call had other ideas. So that's life in the big city. Let's dive ahead, my friend, to these races on this Saturday card. That line, the let's dive ahead. That would be where to make the edit if we have to, that we probably won't have to. And people will be listening to this. But then they get an idea of how the sausage is made, which I think our fans like. Anyway, race number seven, two-year-old maiden fillies, five and a half on the synthetic field of 11 going postward here as we kick off uh, this sequence that does have a late pick four involved. But, you know, around here we uh, we very often gravitate towards that low takeout in the rolling doubles. What numbers are going to be on your tickets, Drew Cotney? Yeah, so I had handicapped this before numbers, so bear with us here as we go through them. But I, I think I'm going to the two firsters here, Miss Jezel and uh, Campaign Krista. So that would be uh, nine and ten. I've got them. Yeah, nine and ten. And Champagne, I believe, not Campaign, right? Champagne Krista. That's correct. Um, I, I think with Miss Jezel, uh, the ghost. Zapper Philly starting for Josie Carroll first time out firing at 23% and this strong recent gate work looks good. And then uh, the number 10 uh, champagne Krista at 12 to one. Um, this uh, American Pharaoh Philly comes uh, for Catherine day Phillips, another great first time starter trainer at 20% hasn't yet to show it in the morning, but gets the benefit of the bug jockey who has been riding great. Um, there. So those two will be on the tickets. And then I am against the short price favorite with the number 11 acquired taste. I, I just didn't like what, what I saw visually. And I, I don't know if we're going to see uh, this one really step up too much. So I'm going to go with two firsters. Don't have a strong read on this. If you can tell um, really open bunch in a, in a wide open event here to kick things off. It's an open race, and my opinion reflects that. I, I can't rule out the favorite, but I didn't really want in a race where I thought there were some interesting firsters. I had Champagne Krista on tickets. I'll get to her in a minute, but I'll start off with number two. Oh, wow. The, a pedigree I'm intrigued by. I like Temple City as a sire. This dam has dropped a couple of winners, including Artie, who won first out with an 89 buyer speed figure, and the workouts, two and three back. We don't have a clock or report here. We'll see if Ernie Perry has anything to say over at woodbine.com in a day or two as we record this on Thursday. But just looking at the tab, there's no way those aren't, you know, pretty rock solid works for the level for this two-year-old Philly. Two oh wow on top. And then really cool breeding on the 10 as well. You mentioned American Pharaoh. We got a Dubawi mare. You mentioned about the Dave Phillips firster stats. That's great. Um, She and Slade Jones have teamed up for a couple of winners. And I think it's a sign of intent when a homebred from Catherine Day Phillips shows up with a hot riding apprentice. It feels like a sign of intent that this isn't a homebred who they're going to necessarily, you know, just give a race to. You'd figure they'd reach out to a journeyman for that situation. This feels like we have a real chance to win. I think this horse is going to be a price, and I'm very, very interested. Slade Jones, by the way, really, um, you know, obviously I'd watch ride a lot, um, but was really impressed seeing in the in in the flesh up there, put on a real show using um, his skills and his weight break, especially around the inner turf course. I I feel like I'm going to upgrade Slade Jones horses on the inner turf for the foreseeable future. And Slade Jones, enjoy this fine work he's doing, um, Drew, while we can, because this 16-year-old kid looks to be about six feet tall. So hopefully he can keep going and, and not have to 
you know, struggle with weight in, in the near future. Cause I, I've been really impressed with what I've seen as I'm sure you have as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't know 16. Oh my goodness. Uh, if I look back at 16 year old pictures of myself, I'm about 120 pounds and would make weight. And, uh, and now as my uh, nephew, eight year old nephew said, I'm uh, quote unquote jacked. Uh, but really, I think what he means is rotund and round. <laughs> Oh, one man's jacked is another man's rotund around. <laughs> Let's talk about race number eight. We got a two-year-old Ontario sired stakes going seven furlongs on the turf. And that was the angle I used to make my pick in this spot, Drew, with number four. And again, I pick this horse every time. And as an American hockey fan, I have to relive sad memories. But uh, Poulon in OT, I just thought worth another try because – that last stakes race, that was an open stake. And now getting back to Ontario Sired, it's just an easier group. And uh, he'd been very good before that, has a bit of an experience edge. I thought also that I wanted to take a little bit of a shot, just race design-wise, with the number three, have to reload. This horse has a natural running style that I think might suit this test. The two races has broken really sharply, but then settled really well and come running. There's plenty of pace here, and that might work out well for half to reload. Not immediate um, great turf blood, but plenty of turf influences on both sides of the pedigree. I'm going to play this one 4-3. How do you see it? Yeah, I love the number four as well here. Cold single for me. I think the last out, I have a note, even though time form figures don't indicate it, there was a bit of a pace collapse up, up front. So that indicates to me that just hanging in two deeper waters today should be a bit better to make one run late press. And uh, and hopefully we'll see that uh, PP running line from two back with uh, glided to the lead at the three eight. So the number four, uh, Puyin and OT for me as a cold single in this event. You make an excellent point. That was absolutely a pace collapse. And, and just because the fractions, and this is very important in turf races, other things come into play with ground conditions and wind and, and other things that you can The pace figures don't always account for it. And sometimes it just makes sense to do the oldest trick in the book and you just click in the charts. And when you click in the charts of this run, you see that the horses who were one, two, three early were last third to last and you know fourth to last and meanwhile the horses that were fifth seventh and eighth early ended up one two three and that kind of old school chart form analysis is something that you can do to make upgrades for horses and i think you make a great case and i feel even better about uh, pulan and ot after you make that observation which i honestly wasn't even really paying attention to when i all had already made the pick so i i think that is an interesting one and i'm definitely still going to want to keep have to reload on side, but I do believe that uh, Poulon and OT going to get some pressing there from me in the featured race number eight. And second, second point on that too, uh, two, two of the horses coming out of that race where the pace collapse was, uh, Philip, my dear, faced Mysterious Night last week as well, just to show the test uh, that this runner was up against here. So yeah, it was a better race. It was definitely a, a different deal and probably what I would call even it's like a soft flow upgrade. You know, maybe the numbers don't say it, but I, just the way that race played out, uh, I, I'm comfortable. I, I just know that horse is better than that. We'll see how it turns out on Saturday. Race number nine, we've got three-year-old and up. A Philly and Mare made in special weights going a mile and a 16th on the synthetic surface. And, uh, Drew, we'll keep it with you. 
Yeah, the number four, do die. What a fun day. Five to two morning line. Uh, top choice for me. Comes out of uh, made an optional claimer at 40,000 um, events. So staying at the level today. And I, I think the that race was pretty darn strong with uh, Devil's Bit coming back and running uh, a number in the 70s in a stakes event uh, a couple weeks ago. And so I, I just think this... This group, again, is a little easier and doesn't look to be a lot of pace pressure in here. So might be able to get away with the lead like we saw on debut um, and and I think could really step forward here for us. So the number four, Dudot, five to two with a speed and back class play. But I'll also use just a little bit, nothing terribly insightful here. We're just trying to survive and get through the number six intro at two to one. If things do heat up a little bit too much and Dudot can't hang on to the lead, uh, number six intro looks to be uh, absolutely the closer in this event that has the best figures uh, back classes in the mid sixties. Hasn't been able to produce anything since last year like that, but I think showed an improvement in form on the turf in the last three events today gets back over to the all weather. I think it's all systems go. Hopefully number six intro uh, could pick up the pieces. So a little do down, a little intro and we're on our way. You and I see this one the same way. I just have the numbers in the opposite order. I put intro on top, looking very obvious, racing in a maiden claimer on synthetic for the first time. This is another horse who was against the flow last time, guessing it was going to be closer to early proceedings here and getting back to the synth where the high speed figure came. I, I, I like intro quite a bit in the spot. And you made a great case for Dudon. I do think there's a potential pace angle um, there, maybe not leading, but sitting very close and uh, getting back onto what also may be the preferred surface. So, yeah, same playbook in race number nine, which brings us to our nightcap. Race number 10, starter allowance for three-year-old and up fillies and mares going one mile on the inner turf. How are we going to get paid? Yeah, and, and, you know, really a lot of this comes from Ron Gearking's reporting that we can find in DRF Formulator. He reported the number four Il Malocchio uh, bled three back, um, was not on Lasix and has been on Lasix the last two outings and was overmatched a bit in both of those, but earning good figures. I'm expecting this horse to sit and pounce and just get the win for the N3L level. And I think the connections are just trying to make a little bit of profit here and finding a soft spot. For, so the number four in Malocchio at five to two seems like an old favorite of our podcast, but also I think is a good play in this event. And then two other horses to use number five, systematic five to one installed on the morning line, I think will be the co-favorite, uh, but we'll be pressing the pace and play second here because I just don't think the full mile is going to suit this runner. Um, as well as the number four Il Malocchio, but I think has a chance to get it done. So the number five systematic. And then lastly, a bit of a long shot use of backup is the number eight talk to you later at six to one. Would like to see that price a little higher. And it's an up and coming type who failed to run off the layoff uh, against our top choice today. And then comes into the event with a stronger back class figure and Emma Jane stays aboard. So that's kind of like a, who knows where the ceiling is for talk to you later. Um, and at eight to one, I don't, I think we'll be around eight to one. I don't want to get beat by that horse. Fair enough. I had El Malocchio on top too. As much as we disagreed last week, we're agreeing this week. Disappointed the last turf try, but that's a great note from Ron Gearkink, who does an amazing job in uh, the pages of, of daily racing form. And you can read him there or through formulator. Also great info 
on the Mama Park website and also the simulcast feed. Jeff Brat does such a good job yeah. on there. You know, no shortage of excellent info available. Woodbine.com, a place you definitely should be looking. But I thought Il Malocchio might be better from coming off the pace, and I thought we'd just get a terrific setup in this spot. I also wanted to mention the 11, Lady Moonshine, brings a two-race win streak into this, has a good late kick. And again, the race should be run to suit. I was going to try to get out 411. I'll take another long look at your five and your eight in here, including that runner. Talk to you later. And Drew, I will talk to you later because uh, this episode is uh, just about done. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Good luck this weekend. Thank you, my friend. That's it for uh, this edition of the show. Um, Peter Thomas Fornital here. Very, very happy to be with you through these segments. want to thank all of today's guests and all of today's sponsors. But most of all, want to thank all of you for listening and viewing and making these shows so much fun to do. We've got a ton of good stuff coming up. We're getting to that magic time of year where pretty soon you can sign up for our Plus service and you'll get all this extra Keeneland and Santa Anita coverage plus the Breeders' Cup package for just 15 bucks. It's a pretty darn good deal, very competitive with other things out there. And we know people are happy. They come back year after year in the moneypodcast.com slash plus if you want to learn more about that. This show's been a production of In the Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Ginch. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos.